Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello, welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today I have with me Sonia Sigler. Sonia, how are you? I am great. Thanks for having me, Jen. I'm so excited. I'm always excited, but I, I just love this. Your website is soniasigler.com and your name is easy and I'm still botching it, but it is soniasigler.com. It will be in the show notes. And I learned a bunch about you that I'm excited for us to share. So jump in and tell me who is soniasigler.com. Who is SoniaSigler.com? Well, that website exists because I ran for political office. And now it exists because I run a business to help professional women, you know, figure out how to become unstuck and have a career of their dreams. And what I have on there right now is information to help individuals, information to help team leaders, and then information to help small companies, startups, that kind of thing, um, who need someone to come in and help them become better leaders, better at what they're doing. So that's what I'm working on now. And uh, let's, let's chat a little more about the journey. Yeah, but the political office thing, that threw me off because I didn't realize, I'm like, how did I not find that information? It's hiding in the about screen now. But the whole point of that website when I started it, I don't know, 2006, 2007, was running for office and you needed to kind of have a, have a presence online. That is awesome. I'm super impressed by that. So I'm hoping that'll be part of the journey. It, 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 it will be. Of that, and then the other part that I did is I started a blog called Practigal, which is actually my company name now, and it's I am Practigal, and uh, that's the blogging that I did. Uh, also, grew out of that same time. That's excellent. So you've been blogging since two thousand six. Yeah, a while. That's a lot of content. <laughs> so take us back, because people generally can't see you. So right. who are you? Well, I'm a. Let's just. Right at the beginning, I'm an attorney turned entrepreneur, and now I help highly motivated professional women figure out um, when they're stuck in their career, how to, to align what they want with uh, their actions and to rise higher. So it's been, it's been an interesting journey um, going from being a lawyer to entrepreneur, um, but it's something I wanted to be a lawyer, I don't know, since I was 13, 14, I had an amazing U.S street teacher, Mrs. Grinkmeyer. I don't know if you've had a really amazing teacher that you just, you're never going to forget her name, but that was her. And she taught the U.S. Constitution. And I thought it was such an amazing and elegant document that I really wanted to become a lawyer and uphold that. So I don't know how many other people want to become a lawyer since they're 13, but that's, that's what I wanted to be. And uh, it included being president of the United States. So I signed all my high school yearbooks, future president of the United States. Um, So tie that back to the office. That's how it happened. Um, but yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer. And so everything I did matched that and everything I did, um, classes that I took was all to be a lawyer. And part of it also was, um, the second half of that yearbook signature was to become a principal trombone player in the Berlin Philharmonic at the time was all male. So I was into smashing glass ceilings. I was into being the first to, to do whatever. I was never told that I couldn't do something 
by my parents. I was in a very supportive um, household with role models. My mom became an entrepreneur probably around the same time I was um, deciding I wanted to become a lawyer. She quit her job at Eli Lilly and became a consultant um, in the ag chem space. And so I had a really amazing role model for her um, being an entrepreneur. And also my grandfather owned his own business and my grandmother was a nurse. My other grandfather had a farm and that's what my dad did. And my other grandmother was a teacher. So I had really amazing role models to just get out there and do what you want to do and what you love. So from that standpoint, it was amazing. Um, And I hope to have provided that same impetus for my three boys. (laughs) Um, boys, right on. No girls, huh? No, that did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> I never cared. Most people say they don't care, but <clears throat> most people have multi- different genders when they have three kids. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, uh, their dad, when we when we first started trying to have children, and and I said care what it is, he's like no, and then like about ten days later, he comes back and he's like. I think I'd like a girl. They're cuter. (laughs) And so we kind of had picked out girl names and we kind of had this long family name. So we didn't even spend any time picking out boy names. And so all of it was kind of like girl, girl, girl. And then we had a, an amnio done and it was like, Oh, do you want to know what you're having? And we're like, yeah. And they said a boy and we're like, okay, let's figure this out. And we had a boy and then we got pregnant right away, had a second boy we're like, okay, at least we know what to do with boys. And then we're like, do you want to try for a girl or, you know, and he's like, well, you kind of want to kind of have to want a third boy as, as much as you want the girl. So we're like, okay, let's try this. And when they said the boy, when we did the amnio, both of us burst into tears. <laughs> oh, no. But, but at the same time, we looked at each other and said, well, at least we know what to do with the boy. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> They're easier anyway. Oh my gosh, it's been an amazing journey. They're now, what are they, 18, 20, and 21, so. Oh, awesome. Okay, so that was another question I was going to ask you. So how odd was it being 13 and knowing that you wanted to be an attorney as far as your peers went? Um, I didn't really notice anything odd. Most people wanted to become a teacher or a farmer because this was in Indiana at the time. And so, you know, become a lawyer. I didn't know any lawyers. My family didn't know any lawyers. So, I mean, from that standpoint, it was like, whatever, (laughs) Um, be professional. But um, I, I was, what's interesting is I was, um, let's see, that was junior high. So my parents got divorced right after that. And we moved to California. So 3000 miles away and, you know, things were, things were difficult. It was, it is um, eye-opening how different it was living here. And, um, you know, I've been here since, what, 1981, so a while. <laughs> um, but at the time, it was really traumatic for me to, to be 3,000 miles away from my dad and from my um, friends, you know, that I'd had since kindergarten. And so it was just, it was traumatic. Um, but I was very driven. So coming here to high school and college, I, I followed the trail of taking the classes that I needed to doing the things that I needed to. Um, and I became a lawyer when I turned 25. So everything I did, I went three, straight through from college to law school and became a lawyer at 25. You weren't and even when you learned about the bar exam and now, like you were just on a mission. I was very much on a mission. 
I had a goal and I was going to reach it come hell or high water, which there was some high water in there and a little bit of hell when I was in college, <laughs> which I'll talk about in just a second. But yeah, I wasn't going to be deterred from my goal. And so, you know, I think I told you about my book, of Welcome to the Next Level and Have a Goal is that very first secret in there. Um, and I was very goal driven. And um, when I got to, I went to Berkeley as an undergraduate and I was going to major in computer science and music because I uh, wanted to be a professional musician along with being president and I play trombone and I was in the Cal band and it was, it was a great experience. Uh, and I wanted to major in computer science to keep my mom happy because that's what she majored in. And that's, you know, she's like, that's a really good, you know, degree. It'll get you far. And so I was like trying to please two masters here and I ended up maybe, I don't know, three or four semesters in till I took my first computer science class, actual programming and everything. And I got a big fat C minus in it. And you can't really be part of the major if you're applying from the school of letters and science. So I was like, crap, now what do I do? I, I won't be able to do that major. Now what can I do? So I looked through the card catalog at the time and was like, oh my God, what can I do in five semesters that I have left? And it was like English and foreign languages and rhetoric and a bunch of what I considered pansy ass degrees. <laughs> and um, I had to pick something. So I picked philosophy because I'd already taken some upper division logic courses and I was like, oh, I really like that. So I wanted to pick something that would serve me for law school still because I knew that's where I was headed. So it didn't really matter actually what the degree was as long as I got to law school. So um, that's what I ended up doing, philosophy and, and um, minor in music because I just couldn't handle playing piano. I taught myself and I didn't, couldn't get through all those classes. So I, I was really on plan B and plan C by the time I got out of there. So no trombone. No I still play. Actually, you I still do. Play. I do. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, that was something. And that was a huge stress reliever as I became a lawyer and started, you know, having a very stressful job. That was one of the, the ways that I kept grounded was to keep playing. I'm, I'm just surprised. I didn't expect, I thought that was like, at least that would go by the wayside. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you'll see, I kind of hold my own and I keep my own, um, keep my own interests going where other people let them go. So that's a great point. If we can tie that into kids later on, that would be a great point. I, <laughs> I'm the same way uh, or yeah. very similar. I'm not playing the trombone, but yeah, it's just a, a matter of, <laughs> keeping your own, maintaining your own identity through everything. Yeah, it's not that I didn't lose it because I surely lost that somewhere along a 25-year marriage and three children. So that, that definitely was, was part of my journey. So you get your law degree and then... Yep. Where did you go for your law degree? You went I went to Santa Clara. So I stayed here in the Bay Area and in California. And I went to the school that had the most intellectual property classes because that's the kind of lawyer I wanted to become. And I got a job my last year of law school at Sega, the video game company. So I was super popular with all my cousins. Hey, can you get me some video games, dude? Did you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, all right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's something to figure out early on. How to, how do you get your video game source on? <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. So Sega, that sounds like 
idyllic, of course. Oh, yeah. It was a total dream job. So first of all, there was a crazy recession going on, and it was hard to find a job out of school, out of college and out of law school. And I got really lucky because I started while I was still in school in January, and I hadn't graduated yet. So I got really lucky. And um, I interviewed, and another guy interviewed, and um, Riley, the person who was hiring us, uh, who was a Santa Clara alum, he was having trouble deciding between us. And it was for... I think it was for like 24 hours a week. So it was part-time. And I looked at Jack and I'm like, well, why don't we just share the job? Because we both wanted to work and they needed certain hours. And so we proposed that to Riley and it ended up hiring both of us to work 20 hours a week. So that was pretty cool. Um, I was told dream job, totally amazing. And then when we were out taking the bar, they put another person in charge of the legal department. And so what ended up happening was that guy was, a crazy, crazy dude. <laughs> and it made a dream job uh, like unbelievably stressful. So this dream job where you're learning all kinds of new things, you're figuring it out, you're um, making up things as you go because we did um, all kinds of new things in the industry, like entering the music industry from the video game side, filming things, which became the video game. So learning the film industry. Um, so all these things that were completely new to video games, you know, we were kind of figuring that out as we went. And um, I started getting migraines on Sunday afternoons like at two, and it would just be debilitating and I would be sleeping on the couch. The only thing I could do was like just close my eyes. Um, it was unbelievable, actually. And so it took me a little while to figure it out is because it was had to go back to work on Monday. And that's why I started getting migraines on Sunday afternoons. And so I started looking for another job. And like I said, it was a recession. And so I was, you know, it was hard to get a, a job at another company. I didn't want to go to a law firm. I'd already been at a law firm before that and decided that is not for me. I prefer the one client, the really interesting technology. So I was looking for another job. And at that time, I was working a lot with the product development team and, and negotiating licenses. And I kind of had this epiphany one day driving down 101, the freeway here, thinking, oh my God, is this all there is? I'm going to negotiate agreement after agreement for the next 40 years. I just was, uh, I couldn't believe it. And so it was like this dream job, but I was like, I'm so bored. And I was telling the VP of product development, I was over in the product development building and I was talking to him. His name was Joe and he was just amazing mentor. You expect this kind of mentor in video games and as a lawyer to have the product development guy help you out. But he was amazing. And he, he, I had told him one day, I said, Oh yeah, I'm interviewing for another job. And he's, he knew the person I reported to was a crazy man. And so he's like, I totally get it, but I'd rather have you come work for me than leave the company. I was like, Oh, how awesome would that be? He's like, I want you to train all my, my product development, um, guys to be better negotiators because they would license things in and they would license technology and to use to make the video games. So, you know, at the time it was like John Madden football or Joe Montana football or, you know, Disney properties or Tommy Lasorda baseball, all these kind of things had to be licensed. And so those kind of deals got made by the product developers and he wanted to bring into that 
side. And I was like, how amazing would that be to be on the business side? And I could be closer to the deal making instead of papering the deals as a lawyer. So I was all excited. And then the, the crazy man put a kibosh on that. And he's like, over my dead body, is there going to be a lawyer in some other part of the company? Um, so that was kind of a blow. And I um, started looking more seriously for another job after that. And the video game industry is kind of up down. And so there are layoffs, you know, here and there. And, and when I was hired, Riley's like, don't get comfortable. You know, we have layoffs and things happen and some game goes well and some game doesn't go well. It just depends. You never know where your fortune is going to be in the video game space. So I ended up getting laid off in like the third round of layoffs. And that was just, just crushing blow my ego. You know, um, you think it's not going to touch a department like the legal department, but it did. Um, and thankfully, I had my second job interview at Intuit the day I laid off. And you'd think that would be a really great thing, but it was a choice of taking contractor position because it wasn't even a full-time lawyer, full-time employee position. It was a full-time contractor position. I ended up taking it because I was like, well, I don't want to be out of work. So I took it and it was fully in the legal department, not on the business side. So I spent another five years, you know, kind of banging my head against that wall of just being in the legal department negotiating agreement after agreement. So at this point, you're really wondering, like, is this all that life is about? And this is- Oh yeah, I was so burned out. I mean, it was just like, you just keep going because there's so much work to do. And our company was growing. So it was interesting work and it was an amazing department. So again, I had a, a, a kind of an ideal job. If you just look at the job itself and an ideal legal department it was almost all women. It was a great, amazing department, very collaborative. And it just was a great work experience. I just was bored to tears. Um, just to give you an example, I negotiated all the agreements with the banks when we were doing online banking at the beginning of that industry. And so it was the same agreement like 45 times. <laughs> and so when you've negotiated, you're just kind of like, you, you, you're like, really, I'm going to have the same conversation again. So from that standpoint, I had just agreed to do the thing that had driven me nuts to begin with. So for another five years, it took me to learn that lesson um, before I went to startups. So after I had my... Your second son. Yeah. After I had my second son, I was like, I got to get out of there. I can't, I can't go back to that same treadmill. So in this process, you've met your husband, gotten married and had two kids by the way, like as a side note. <laughs> yeah, we had, um, we had, um, I guess my last year of law school, I guess had started dating. So, um, I had, we decided to wait for five years to have kids, which we did. <laughs> so I didn't actually have any kids while I was at Sega. I had my first one kind of in the middle of, of my time. I didn't do it. And then the last one, I, I didn't come back from maternity leave after my second kid. I went on to work for startups. So what, Tell me about the segue for that. I know you're burnt out and bored and it's, mm -hmm. it sucks when the, there's so much great stuff about it and yet you still are losing your mind. Yeah. Staying there. It's just not the space for you. Yeah. You must have been thinking about it during that second pregnancy. I was thinking about it before that because what happened was one of our partners, um, which was Excite at Home, um, one of our partners at Intuit wanted hire me in their legal department uh, and their business affairs department. And so I had interviewed when I was like nine months pregnant. I was bigger than a house. 
and he offered me the job and I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to feel after my first kid, you know, and so I ended up turning it down. So talk about shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, again, I turned it down and went back to Intuit after that first maternity leave thinking, oh, I'll figure it out. You know, it's not that bad, whatever. I'll figure out how to get to the business side. So that goal of getting to the business side that I had found at Sega um, to get closer to the deal making, you know, it um, just didn't come to fruition at, at Intuit. And while I was out on maternity leave, I had been talking to some other people and they were starting a company that was... Um, funded by the owner of Lego and it was bringing some stuff from Denmark here to the United States and trying to make back in the video game space, trying to make a technology that was um, back in the video game space. So they're like, Oh, well, why don't you come work for us? And you know, you have all this knowledge about the video game space. So it was a great opportunity. So that's what I did. And I haven't really looked back and I've been at startups ever since. And I think, um, one of the things I learned from that experience was you have to be true to what floats your boat, like what your passion is, what your, what your desire is. And I think it took me a long time to figure that out. Like, what was I good at and what can I do? Cause there's so many things that I could do or I was interested in that I didn't really hone in on one or two things. And so what I learned was I like to start something from nothing. I like the startup phase and I, don't mind the chaos. Like the chaos doesn't phase me. And I like to organize chaos is what my mother called it. <laughs> um, so learning that about what I do, I really need to be in on that early, um, crazy, you know, brainstorming, what can we do? How can we make this happen? And then setting it up where I got bored was like, now it's like routine. So now it's like doing accounts receivable and accounts payable, the same damn thing every month. It drove nuts. And so hiring a controller to do that part of it after I'd already put the like policies, processes, and procedures in place, then it was not so exciting. <laughs> so learning that about me really made me understand what I call the second secret of my book, which is to um, know your value. Like to be able to actually know what value you provide to others and how to articulate that. Because I hadn't to that point been able to articulate it as well as I do now. Okay. And that was another thing I was going to ask you in this process. You, I mean, the fact that you're in love with startups is crazy to me because that is, that's like, if you, you know, I have, I have a child who's special needs and he had an IEP and he went to special education teachers. God bless them. If you like middle school, special ed, that's <laughs> where you need to be. Please stay there, please. Yeah. And that's pretty much the best analogy. I'm going to stick yeah. with that analogy to being an attorney in a startup space, that's like, if you love it and you're good at it, God bless you for being there. I mean, think of it this way. So Uber said, we're not going to follow the taxi cab rules. We're going to make up our own rule and flip this industry on its head. So if you're the attorney for Uber, you're in there saying, well, I don't think you can do this. The law says X and you want to do Y. So how is that going to happen? So you have to be, you can't be the land of no, meaning N-O. You have to be the land of no, K-N-O-W, to be able to figure out how to make it happen. Like they want to do this and you're part of that business, then you need to figure out how to make it happen. So I thrived on that kind of creativity and that kind of activity, making it happen. That's amazing. 
And still, though, you're right. It's stressful and chaotic, and it's not. Yeah, I'm glad you love to do it. So I don't have to. <laughs> well, um, what's interesting, I, I have to tell you, Jen, one of the interesting things I figured out a lot way is I do like to figure it out. So I do like to de, you know, do a deep dive into something, figure it out, you know, what do we need to do in this situation and then make it happen. So it's a little bit of the research and figuring it out at the same time putting, you know, contracts or putting a process in place to make it happen. Um, I didn't figure out I was really so operations oriented until I went to startup for nine years and did like everything on the back end. So the finance, the legal, the HR, setting up all those systems, setting up the sales process, setting up client services. So like figuring out what do we need to do in this industry? What do we need to do with this technology? What do we need to do with these customers? And just kind of making it up as you go along, but fitting it to the situation. So I, I discovered in that, um, you know, nine years at this one company before we sold it, you know, I, I could do a lot of different things and I was trusted to take care of it. So I was in a um, trust position and I had built up a lot of goodwill to be able to do that um, so that that was um, an amazing experience and it took me a while I mean I couldn't even like <laughs> I couldn't even have told you everything I had done at that company um, one of the things that spurred this and I I I never probably would have been able to articulate everything I had done. I had gone through my office when we, we sold our house to Ernst and Young and I basically sold myself out of a job and had to go find something else to do. And I was going through my office, which after nine years and lawyers are kind of packed. Rats, I had all of these things. And I remember looking through my giant uh, fireproof cabinet of agreements and other things that I had done. And I was like, oh, I forgot about that. And so after like three times of tossing things, I started keeping a list of everything I had done. And it kind of broke out into four areas, finance, operations, legal, and then just other, you know, running the business administratively. So once I was able to figure out, I could really just articulate my skills in those different areas. But man, I did not articulate that well. And I was, yeah, I think I was interviewing and I would get second interviews, but I wouldn't get any job offers. And it was so disheartening. I was like, I've done all these things and we built a successful, you know, multi-million dollar company, sold it to Ernst Young. What the heck? You know, why can't I, you know, find another job? And so that was, I felt like I had, had kind of been beaten down and was kind of like, you know, what skills do you have? And it wasn't until I had a headhunter just say to me straight up, hey, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> she looked at my resume and she was like, do you want to be a general counsel or do you want to be a chief operating officer? And I was like, well, yes. I mean, like, <laughs> that's what I am applying for. You know, and it wasn't till she said that, I, I understood the disconnect there is that you have to know your skills and then you kind of have to be able to share that information with other people. And that kind of brings me to the third thing I discovered. And that's the third secret is you have to share your value with others in a way that they get. Is it more difficult for people to learn their value and, or is it more difficult for them to share it? I think that 
if I just looked at the clients that I've had over the last few years, just to come to me and, you know, for help, this is 60% of them don't even know what their value is and can't even articulate it to you. And then about 40% of them know what their value is, but they can't convey it internally in their own company to get a raise or to get a promotion. And they certainly can't articulate it out in the industry to get a job at another company. So they kind of go hand in hand. You have to be able to know your value to be able to talk about it comfortably. And I would say that's kind of the crux. Like most people have some goal of some kind. So that first part of what I talked about, um, most people have a goal or can come up with a goal pretty quickly, but it's, and they may be able to articulate some of their skills, but then to be able to talk it is so paralyzing. We're told, you know, don't brag, don't stand out, don't, you know, don't tell me about your accomplishments. It'll be seen as bragging. I think from a cultural standpoint and as a woman, it's just kind of a double whammy. I hate that too, because there's so many ways that you can express things. You should be able to be good at things without worrying about bragging about them. There's a way to discuss it that just is a list of your accomplishments or your skills or your goals. But that, you're right, that's a really hard balance. And it is especially for women. You are, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think that's part of why, especially women, we don't know our value or what that is and certainly how to articulate it because we we suppress it all the time. Yeah, I think one of the things I see I give a, so, you know, I work with clients and I have a whole program that I talk about in my book that I help people um, articulate what their value is so that they can get a raise or get promoted or they run their own business and make it more successful. Um, part of, of what is really amazing and resonates with women is authentic personal branding. So to be able to talk about your skills and your accomplishments. And one of the things I see when people walk into that room to do that is they are deathly afraid to talk about any success they've had. And so one of the things I get them to write about um, and to articulate is what career successes have you had? And then how have you helped others? So it kind of gets them thinking about what have I done? How have I helped people? And then I have them write some kind of statement, anything like the one I developed when I first went through that training was I'm a dogged advocate. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, so I just moved to California, so back to that story, I thought the band director we had was an idiot and that he should not be teaching this band. And I and, and I was not alone in that sentiment. <laughs> and so I rallied a, a group of 10 or 11 people. So I was a freshman. So I was 14 at the time, new school, new, you know, state, everything. And I rallied a group of 10 or 11 people from the band to go see the principal to get this guy fired. And he did not come back the next year. <laughs> so we had a new band director, but that is one of the things that I, back at him, I was like, who does that? You know, <laughs> who does that? And, and so one of the ways I characterize that was I'm a dogged advocate. If I see something wrong or I see something that should be changed, I'm going to work tirelessly and I'm going to work hard to make that happen. And I'm going to rally all the people that I need to. I'm going to find the resources that I need. I'm going to make it happen. 
happen. And so I look back at things like that and I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, don't cross me. I'm someone you want on your side. And so that's kind of one of the examples that I use um, to, to illustrate that skill. And then how do you articulate, I mean, being an advocate is great because you are trying to help other people who can't or won't or don't have the skills or the ability. I mean, there's lots of reasons why, right? Mm -hmm. So isn't that a great skill? Absolutely. Right. And I think what most women don't is they don't advocate for themselves. Yeah. So part of what I teach them to do is I had to do that the hard way. I was so strong in advocating for everybody else that I didn't do it for myself. Um, and so the, the divorce that happened was I was like, I just want it to go away. I didn't, it was so hard to learn how to advocate for myself. Like I thought the world was going to end, you know, like most people feel like if I ask for a raise, I'm going to get fired. That's that feeling I had. <laughs> and so for me, it started with advocating for my kids in the special ed space. So I did have to do 504 plan and IEPs and I have to work to get um, one of my kids some help. And um, I ended up running for school board and being on a school board for four years. And so I saw it from both sides. And so I did put my advocacy skills together, you know, to work for, for those different areas. But I also, in learning to do that for my kids, learned for myself. And so um, I'm in a much different relationship now, <laughs> much more equal partners. And I can't tell you how amazing that is. And to the, the difference that, you know, learning to do that for myself made. Isn't that crazy that one of the biggest skills that you have is one that you don't do with yourself. Yeah. But you can tell people to do it. You yeah. can help them to do it. Or I could do it for them. Right. I mean, right. yeah. So now that chutzpah and that advocating for myself, I, I work with others to figure out how to do that for them or their company. I love that. I'm trying to figure out how many directions that we could take this in. When you were, <laughs> when you were, so concerned about advocating for yourself and you just wanted it to go away. When did that happen compared to the headhunter who had that conversation with you? Were they anywhere near the same time? Um, yes, but I also avoided doing anything about it personally for another three years. So I just let the situation, I literally was like, I like I drank up our whole wine collection um, <laughs> over this three-year period. So it was, I, it's not a period I would repeat, but it definitely, like my husband was working um, inside the home and was doing a, a big, huge project where he wasn't home a lot. So I was holding down the fort with three kids. I was in the middle of selling a company and trying to find a new job. And so it was just super stressful. And and he decided, oh, I'm done working. You can work. And so then I was like, crap. You know, not only do I not have a job, I've got three kids and now a husband who doesn't want to work. And so I ended up finding and, and finding a way to advocate for myself just out of sheer self-preservation. Um, and so that's when I found a, a different job and um, different role, but advocated for myself. So I really learned how to articulate everything I could do and what I could do for this company that I up joining. So I ended up being there for three years. And about that same time was during that same three year period is when, you know, shit really hit the fan and I moved out and, you know, really had to become an advocate for my kids in, in terms of sharing custody and, and all of that aspect of things. And part of my 
set, if you will, um, and really putting these three secrets to, you know, get to that next level was what kind of household do you want? And I really had to do some soul searching and figure out. And one of the things I, you know, I just kind of put a dart on the board and said, I want a calm and peaceful household. I want a sanctuary for my kids. I want them to feel safe. I want them to be able to bring their friends here. I want them to be able to come home and just get a hug and feel like someone loves them. And so I worked really hard to build that for my kids. Um, and in fact, I just had two of them move back this past week. So, um, I mean, for different reasons, but it just, it was something super important to me. And I hadn't really thought about it in those terms of like, what kind of marriage do I want? What kind of household do I want to provide for my kids? What kind of mom do I want to be to my kids? I kind of had just done this whole autopilot thing for years um, with work and with the kids and with, you know, school board and all the parent volunteer stuff. And when I moved out and I was like, oh, I can you know, paint the wall peacock blue. I can <laughs> get a white leather couch. Um, <laughs> there were just some things where it's like, I didn't really, I was so on autopilot that I wasn't proactive about it. And I think learning the self-advocacy really turned it around for me to be able to say what kind of life do I want. And you had never thought about this before or asked because you were just so on autopilot. I was just like, I became a lawyer. I was going to do this. I'm, you know, I got to do this. I'm a company now what you know I was kind of like oh I lived a life a life of should you should do this you should have the 2.5 kids you should you know become a you know fundraiser leader at your kid's school you, you know like all these things and it was like check the little box check the little box <laughs> and um, when I stepped back I did things that I liked to do and I did things that I was good at but at the same time I was like how like if I can write any for what I'm doing, what do I want that to look like? And and we talked about playing trombone earlier. I have kept that going the whole time because it was such a stress reliever. Other things that I had let go by the wayside, like playing softball or um, spending more time with friends or being able to write letters and thank you notes by hand, all some of those things. And so I really took a look and I wrote a, I did a mind map of what do I want my life to look like? And I did a whole thing. And right now my goal is to have a life I don't get vacation from. Oh my God, wouldn't that be great? And then what does that look like? What does that look like? I have time to go to my kids' sporting events. So I didn't look for a full-time job. I stayed as a consultant so that I could be there Friday night except for on the football field with them. I was the team photographer. What does that look like from a practical standpoint? It means I'm from 3.30 on Fridays till, you know, 10.30, I'm on the field taking pictures. So being there at their sporting events, um, being able to write, you know, handwritten notes, being able to... um, travel to see friends because now I have some friends who live in different parts of the country. The week I didn't have the kids, I would travel to see my friends. And so I just built a life where I was like, I don't really need a vacation because I just spent four days in it with some friends. And when you build that kind of integration between your work and your life, it just is lovely and relaxing and at the same time you have time to be intense about the work or time to be intense about the you know the hours you spend with your kids uh so it's just it was such a 
it was such a change and such a mind bender for me to be able to do that. Did you get the white couch? I totally have the white couch. I love it. Woo. All right. <laughs> you know what? It's always different for each one of us. I feel like with having kids, I didn't really lose my identity that much, but it does shift your priorities. Oh, yeah. Right? So, oh, yeah. You put certain things on the back burner. They're not as important just, just because they're not as high up on the priority anymore. But in that, sometimes a lot of us lose, we do, we just go from one day to the next and it's miserable. Yeah. I'm a huge advocate, just like you, just like you about, you know, (laughs) setting those goals. And you're almost, in my mind, I work backwards. So you come up with a life that you want and then you work backwards. Yeah. How, how, if I'm here, how can I get there? Yeah. And that's what I help people do now because they can't see the forest for the trees and they like have no idea to actually have a make, make a life like they think they want. Um, so I kind of help them work their way through it and we make sometimes big changes like changing a job, sometimes small changes like making a schedule change. So it just depends on what, what their goals are to be able to help them get to that. Um, I have two things that kind of stick out, um, you know, for, for making that change. One was when I moved out, my brother and his girlfriend were like, Hey, would you like to come up? the Marin County French Antique Fair. And I was like, sure, I've got nothing better to do this weekend. The kids are with their dad. So I went and I had such an amazing time and I didn't realize how isolated I had become from my own family. So in the time period where things were, you know, biting the dust, I didn't realize how isolated I had been from my mom and from my brother and that I really like spending time with my family. And um, I can't, that not true for my husband. He had a kind of a little chaotic for in his family. And um, so for me, rediscovering that and saying, I'm never going to let someone get in my way of my own family enjoyment. That was something super important to discover. And the second thing was my friends were like, um, we had gone out. I think there were three of us that had gone out. And, and afterwards, one of my friends said to me, you're funny. And I was like, yeah, because I was always kind of the class clown and, you know, getting into trouble. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're really funny. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, you weren't so funny before <laughs> being married uh, with your prior husband. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And, and so somewhere along the line, I totally lost my sense of sh- and became more of like an angry person. And I would say, looking back on it, frustrated and angry and just not knowing how to change the situation. I think often I've been divorced and been the single parent. I've done some of those things. And even if you don't have something that life altering, I think we do get caught up in the day to day and it's very hard. I mean, I remember, I'll give you a lame example. I bought these cookies, these ginger snaps that are my favorite. And I'm like, why did I stop getting these? Like, did I totally forget? Or something that you, you use all the time for a long period of time and then you run out or you let it go. Or, and then when you do it again, you're like, holy crap. And like, that's lame. And we do it all the time. So there's so many examples like that. Humor. Humor's huge. I have this sheet that I kept from like 16 or 17 years ago when I went through the divorce and uh, my husband now found it in a journal and he's like, did you go speed dating at some point? And I never have. So I was like, what? Why would I? I?" No, I've never been speed dating. But what it was, it was (laughs) apparently they do this at speed dating. Um, It was a secret Santa. We had an all women's 
um, office and we did Secret Santa so we could do nice things for each other. So we had this paper that we had to write down. Like if somebody bought you a candy bar or a drink or a, what are the colors in your living room? It was all these like random questions. Are there, are there any smells that you absolutely don't like? Vanilla, don't give me anything vanilla. You know, so it was something like that. And I had to take the form home and fill it out. And I had only been single for about a year and it had been a really awful year. But I thought never again will I ever allow myself to have a paper like this and not be able to answer it? That means that I have allowed in this year to be so out of touch with yeah. myself. So I, at 16 years old and I still have it in the back of my journal. And it's just kind of a reminder. And because I kept it, I know it's there. So I don't even need to look at it. That yeah. You touch base with ourselves. Yeah. I think one of the things I learned the hard way in this whole journey, not just the side, but personally is I didn't realize how far afield I had come from being myself. And um, when I um, started just do a lot of self work and like, how did I get this way? Like, and how do I stop being this way? More importantly, ways doing a lot of, you know, reading and a lot of journaling, at least for me, that's what worked and a lot of gardening and a lot of seeing a very, I shrunk my circle of friends to a very small and trusted group. And so um, that helped a lot as well. But I think at the end of the day, putting a stake in the ground of what I liked and didn't like and what was non-negotiable and what was, you know, a nice to have, um, I ended up doing that. Um, I ended up working with the coach because I was like, why can't I get divorced? And why can't I write this book? And so, you know, we kind of worked on those two things. And, you know, there's some big answers in there. One of the things I discovered is I don't ever want to get that far afield from me. And so I really took some time to say, what do I like? like? I like cocktails. Like it would be nice to have someone who likes to make cocktails. You know, that's not a must have in a, in a, boyfriend or spouse, but it's a nice to have. So I made a bunch of lists like that. And, and then one of the things, um, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but I, I didn't, um, I didn't date when the weeks that I had kids. And so I would date the week I didn't have them. And so, and I rarely, rarely had anybody stay the night, not because I didn't want to, because I just never found anybody worthwhile to stay the night. So first guy that stayed the night, he got up at like, well, he was going to stay the night. Um, he got up at like 1130 and like left out of bed. And he's like, Oh my, I got to home and take care of the dogs. I'm like, what? I thought you were staying the night. He's like, Oh, I got to go let the dogs out. And I was like, okay, that sounds like, like, wait a minute. You didn't know that two hours ago. <laughs> so I, I'm like, whatever, dude, <laughs> this relationship really is going nowhere. But, um, the next morning I wake up and I, wake up and I'm like sleeping sideways on my eyesight and I see the books that are on the shelf next to my bed. And it's like, turn your maid into your soulmate, adult children of alcoholics, uh, boundary issues. I mean, the list went on all these books. <laughs> and I was like, shit, if I that list, I don't know that I would stay either. And so I had told this to my coach at the time and she's like, wait a minute, but you actually read them and do work. I was like, well, yeah, why else have the book? Like, <laughs> like and she's like, most people don't do that. They get the book and they think they're going to read it and they never do. And then they certainly do the work. I was like, well, why have the book? So she kind of was like, but let's turn this around and look at it as a positive way. And I was like, okay, 
this is why I hired you. You know, this is what I'm thinking in my mind. And she says, you have an insatiable intellectual curiosity. And I was like, yes, that's super important to me. I love talking about books. I love reading things and discussing them. I think this is why I became a philosophy major. Um, and so I wrote down intellectually curious on a sticky. And that became the first thing on my list of six things to look for in my partner. So I spent the next few years putting a list of six things together about what were non-negotiable things in a relationship for me. And that is who I manifested and is now my husband. I have a list. It's called the perfect man. <laughs> and you know what I learned? You can, you have to be careful about your list because yeah. on it said sense of humor. Yeah. Everyone has a sense of humor. Yeah, some are just better than others. <laughs> right. Well, what I needed to write was makes me laugh, right? Yeah. Because, like, you can be funny, and I just, I, I don't get your humor. Yeah. So I was with someone, and I was like, this person is not my sense of humor. Not my kind of funny. I went to myself, I'm dying to know you're six, because six, that's not very many. No, it was a very short list. As an attorney, I have this question. I this situation, I don't know if it's a question. I hope it's a question. Ah. We have job descriptions. You mm -hmm. did all the operations. So you know, like who's responsible for what accountability, responsibility, all the job descriptions. And then when I'm working, I, I'm getting a job from you and you give me my job description. We have evaluations where we check in. Okay. How is this going? And how is this not? And these are your strengths. And this, this is something we kind of need to work on. And we don't do that in relationships. And I think the person that you're spending the most time that you're the most intimate with, and it's called a prenup, yeah. but when people hear prenup and especially women, they get all pissy. Like, I'm not going to divorce you and take you for everything. Well, first you probably are. That's you have a 50% chance of statistically doing that, <laughs> but it shouldn't be a financial thing that a man gives you because he has more money than you do and wants to protect it from potential divorce. I think it should be like a job description, like your list, mm -hmm. right? It's the most important relationship and the only one we don't do a job description with and we don't do check-ins. It's called date oh, night. No. Yeah. We totally do. So we actually, um, there's a, a book and it's called the book of agreements and it's got like different kinds of agreements in there anywhere from like business partners, to divorce to whatever. And so in there, um, there are all kinds of, of types of agreements and stuff. And so we actually um, talked about that together. And then we actually have a, um, I don't even know what to call it, book of marriage, um, where we have a journal that we write how we want marriage to be. And we kind of trade it back and forth, like we'll write in it, and like things that we appreciate about each other, things that we want to see, um, time to do certain things. And so we hold our time together each night sacred to be able to sit and either have dinner or sit out on, we made some couches in the backyard um, to sit and talk. I and love that. And have lots of sex. So oh my God. <laughs> that was the other priority. Oh yeah, it's on mine too. Sexually compatible. That means yeah. I want it every day, but I'll dumb it down to five times a week if you need me to. See? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so important, but it is the same thing in work. You do need to know what's important to you yeah. and you need to be able to explain that. And like I said, sense of humor, I'm not articulating my inner thoughts. You yeah. need to make me laugh. Yeah. Like, belly laugh, pee my pants cry, you know? Exactly. 
Yeah. And so I, I so get it. So when people come to you for businesses, are most people, is it most individuals, entrepreneurs, companies, what's your biggest draw? Yeah. So there are two. One is women who are trying to rise through the ranks and they find them hitting a glass ceiling or, you know, for some reason not being able to progress any further. And they come to me to, to, to figure out, diagnose it, figure out what's going on and then make a change. The other one is the people that I work with the most are CEOs, startup executives, um, who are either trying to knock it out of the park as a leader and they're running up to, you know, running into issues or they're trying to like figure out how to make their business, um, run. Um, the unique experience I have on the legal operations business development side, really, you know, I, I can hone in on what it is that they need in particular. So what works for you may not work for the next person. And so I really try to help them make a roadmap of what that's going to look like for them. I love the roadmap. I love the mapping it out. Well, I mean, our brain, I think my brain works similar to yours, but you did realize that you were doing all of these skills. You were utilizing all these skills and then you just had to hone in what you love the most and because artic- articulating that sometimes is really difficult. It's not like sense of humor. Yeah. It really is. So it took me a while. Yeah. It took me a while to articulate the fact that I like to organize chaos and that I like to start something from nothing. And so when I could articulate that phrase, then I could give examples from the startups that I have been in or worked with um, that could illustrate how I start something from nothing. Um, Like starting finance from nothing, starting client services from nothing, starting a sales group from nothing. So I could give examples in, you know, the last 20 years of experience have, you know, in or at startups um, or advising, you know, startup uh, leaders of what that is and what that looks like. I'm not sure how, I told you at the beginning when we pre, when we were doing the pregame, yeah. I ask a question towards the end. I, I mean, I see what your business is and why you went that direction. What's going on with politics? Wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on with politics? Oh my gosh. I think it's taken almost like how bad can things be before people are willing to make a change? So whether that's personally or whether that's the nation, I think we're in the midst of that. And it's like, how bad did it have to get before we're willing to put ourselves out there and run for office? And how many more women are running for office who say, oh, I'm not qualified. And we're like, yeah, fuck, you're not qualified. Yes, you are. So it's like really getting them to say, why not me? as opposed to, oh, I don't think I can do that. You know, women are very, you know, reluctant to raise their hand or put themselves out there um, for raises or jobs or to volunteer for, you know, any project or those kind of things. Um, they want to have all the boxes checked before they say yes to something. And and no one is going to make that decision to you. Very few uh, things happen that way. So getting women to understand that putting yourself out there and taking, that risk. And even if it's an uncomfortable risk, it's going to be worth it. And so how bad did things have to get until women start stepping forward and saying, I'm, I am going to, I am a leader. Um, and to take on those roles to really change the leadership mindset, because let me tell you, collaboration and the way we're doing things now has got to change. And, and bringing that feminine side to the crazy masculine leadership and, and how politics are now is kind of necessity is a necessity for us to move forward in a way that's going to work for more people. 
that's awesome. And you're not running. I um, I just ended my school board run last year after 14 years um, so that I could write the book. <laughs> so I published it earlier this year. So I kind of cleared the decks for that. So I was, I'm only on one uh, leadership committee right now. And so I'm heavily involved in that because it involves a production, stage production. I'm so glad. I love it. Sorry. I had to, I just wanted to tie off that end. Yeah. You married and you manifested everything. We didn't even talk about energy because law and energy are kind of two topics, but you did say mm-hmm. manifest. So mm-hmm. that's sort of an energy thing. That's totally an energy thing. Yeah. So usually I, I end the podcast asking something about, well, you have the book and it just came out and we'll, we'll have all of that information. Welcome to the next level. This is not just for startup companies or women trying to climb the corporate ladder. I'm guessing that your steps are for pretty much anyone who wants to break through barriers in, within themselves. Absolutely. You hit it the nail on the head, Jen. This welcome to the next level process and welcome is the acronym for the seven steps in the process. It's really can apply to any time you get stuck. And the reason I ended up putting in for career is because that's what's happened over the last five years is people keep coming to me um, and asking, you know, I've never told anybody this, but, and then they spill their guts about something. I need help doing X. Can you help me do that? And I've been a mentor all along and I've started women's groups all along my entire career. And that's one of the reasons why I ended up doing the career examples in the book. But um, I, this is really great. My mom and my aunt read the book and they're like, oh my gosh, this applies to retirement. So they're lobbying me to write a different book that gives retirement examples of how to do that next phase and how can I, you know, design that to be how I want it. So you're absolutely right. It applies to whenever you get stuck. So now we have a welcome to the next level series that you didn't even know. (laughs) Retirement, divorce, um, finding your soulmate. Well, I mean, like we have a whole, I just planned a whole series for you. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) So what would you, what advice would you give people who are feeling stuck or, because a lot of, a lot of people don't recognize they're stuck till something happens. If they've recognized that or they need to evaluate it, what would you express to that, that person, that woman? I think asking for help is one of the hardest things for women to do, but it's the step to get them the help they need because they love helping people. Don't you think other people want to do that for you? And I think that mindset of asking for help and that it's okay to ask for help. I wish I'd learned lesson so much earlier. <laughs> ask for help. I yeah. agree with you more. And it could be anything from, I mentioned the two ladies that we had gone out with and they're like, you lost your sense of humor. We kind of have, you know, I'm going to call it a bitch and moan session where we get together and drink wine and pretend to play cards or race or something and talk about work issues or whatever issues, kid issues, because uh, we all had kids the same age. Um, but find people that you trust that you can, you know, talk to about certain issues. And it's not that you're going to be able to talk to everybody about everything. You're going to have some trusted people that you can either talk about career issues or kid issues. But if we don't talk about these things and help each other, you know, why else are we here? I just feel strongly about that to be able to help each other. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.